Hello and welcome to Just the Tonic, the podcast that shines a light on the positive impact the arts can have on our lives. I'm Katie Derham and I'm delighted to be back with another series featuring people and organisations who are dedicated to making sure the arts are accessible for everyone. Now, in our first series, we heard from the likes of Sir Mark Elder, conductor of Manchester's Halle Orchestra and champion of music in the community. It's a lovely fact that when people sing together, little by little, their heartbeats beat the same. We heard from Charles Hazelwood, composer and artistic director of Para Orchestra, the amazing orchestra featuring disabled and able-bodied musicians. I've been conducting orchestras around the world for about 30 years now, and I can count the fingers of one hand the number of musicians who identify as disabled I've found in any of those groups over that long period of time. Now, if you missed the first series, I will forgive you. You can catch up by searching for Just the Tonic with Katie Derham wherever you usually get your podcasts. Now, it was tough for us all not to be able to experience live music during lockdown, but it was particularly tough for those in hospital and in care homes. Organisations like Music in Hospitals and Care provide a lifeline for patients and residents. Here's charge nurse Samantha Philp, Activities Coordinator at the Eden Ward in Edinburgh Royal Hospital. There is definitely a difference between you know, listening to, say, a CD and having a live musician on the ward. Quite often it's something that the patients maybe haven't been able to engage with in a long time. And we'll be hearing more from Sam later and from star of stage and screen, Sir Richard Stilgo. I had a musical granny. She was a church organist and she had just the best ear of anybody I've ever met. I would sing her a nursery rhyme and she would play it on the piano. And I thought, God, that's clever. How do you do that? And she said, well, you listen. That's actually all the music education anybody needs, really. But first, let's hear from the People's Orchestra, who I feature most episodes, the fantastic community orchestra and choirs based in West Bromwich in the West Midlands. They're playing a big part in the Birmingham 2022 Festival, which is the cultural celebration based around the Commonwealth Games, which take place in Birmingham this summer. We asked our intrepid reporter, Jamie Parker, project administrator at the People's Orchestra, to catch up with players and singers at their recent Heroes and Villains concert. Here he is with Tina from the Hales Owen Show Choir. How have you been finding the concert so far? Really enjoyable, really good. All the perform, all the rehearsals we've done so far have been amazing leading up to this point. We haven't heard the, the orchestra till today so that's been amazing to hear that's brilliant and then obviously we'll be singing with them later so that'll be amazing can't wait really enjoying it yeah is this your first time performing with us yeah it's the first one i've performed with the show choir hales owen i've not been there very long i've only been there since november last year and we've all just gelled beautifully and we just we just all get on so well and it's just a wonderful group so it's on a monday evening which most people are like oh it's monday but, but every single one of us look forward to our Mondays and have a wonderful time singing together. So it's just lovely, really enjoyable. What has been your favourite thing about the concert so far? A bit of everything. Today. The audience reception has been lovely. They've all been very receptive and uh, the round of applauses have obviously been really natural and they've been, you can see they've t- genuinely enjoyed the music. Um, it's a, a wonderful feeling to sing. Your endorphins get going. You feel like your brain's working. You genuinely do feel like you're... 
your heart and soul is in sync with the rest of the people you're singing with and the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you get goosebumps and that's just the most wonderful feeling. And Tina brought a very special supporter along with her. Here's Jamie with audience member Tina's husband, Nigel. How are you enjoying the concert? Um, what parts have stood out to you tonight? It's been absolutely fabulous. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, been such a long time since we've heard live music. The choir and the band have been absolutely fantastic. Have you been to a People's Orchestra concert before? I've never been to uh, a, a People's Choir concert at all. Uh, it's really refreshing. I've been to a uh, symphony orchestra. Did particularly enjoy it. It was a bit too highbrow for me, to be honest, but uh, this is something different. It's, I've really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's the choice of music. It's a bit more bouncy and lively, not that classical feel to it. So, uh, so yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. My wife's been in, uh, Tina's been in for uh, six months or so. But just singing makes such a huge difference to her, uh, her health. She's uh, suffered from poor health now for, for a number of years. Um, and joining the choir um, just makes such a big difference. She comes back on such yeah. a high. Uh, and that just uh, supports her throughout. She's a nurse uh, by profession. She's all sorts of kind of horrible, nasty things. That, uh, and this just releases that stress. And here's Jamie with Sang, who isn't just a player, she sings too. I'm an alto sax player in the Rusty Players Orchestra and I also sing in the Central Birmingham Show Choir. Is this your first time performing with us? Um, Well, it's quite a special occasion for me because I've uh, never actually played the saxophone in a concert in my life before until today. So I started playing about two and a half years ago. One of the things I always wanted to do was play in in an orchestra, an ensemble of some sort, and um, there wasn't really anything around for somebody who was a beginner. So um, a friend pointed me towards the Rusty Players Orchestra, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. So I started at the Rusty Players. Then, sadly, we went into lockdown, and then... um, but we, we continued online and then um, I've been um, coming ever since and it's been really, really, really good. I was very nervous, as you can imagine, but the, um, the People's Orchestra players have been brilliant. Um, they've really uh, made me feel welcome and they're, and they're really, really good. So that's really helped. The People's Orchestra has been making music and changing lives for 10 years and this is our 10th anniversary concert. What, what do you make of, the, of that? I love the way that the People's Orchestra has so many other branches to it in terms of uh, overall well-being and support um, and, you know, the help in terms of work and um, welfare and all of that. It's a, a really a great package. And the fact that it, um, there's the offshoot with, of the Rusty Players has been brilliant for me. So as a, as a musician who's very new um, and also uh, all my fellow Rusty Players who've, uh, who were quite anxious um, or haven't played for a while or are new players to... To make um, us feel so welcome has been um, absolutely fantastic. Thanks to Jamie, Tina, Nigel and Sang. And I look forward to hearing more from the People's Orchestra in future episodes. Music in Hospitals and Care is a charity that I've been involved with for years. It's a fantastic organisation which basically improves the health and well-being of children and adults through the healing power of live music. The patients in Eden Ward, an all-female older people's mental health ward in Edinburgh's Royal Hospital, are delighted that they can experience live music again after lockdown. Here's their activities coordinator, Samantha Philp. There is definitely a difference between, you know, listening to, say, a CD and having an 
a live musician on the ward. I think primarily it's just so much more special and it's quite often it's something that um, the patients maybe haven't been able to engage with in a long time. We've had a couple of musicians come in and they generally play an instrument and do some singing. We had a musician called Charlie who came in and played some music for us all and he would take requests from the patients and um, we'd all have a wee sing song. The impact that that had was very noticeable and it was great for morale for everybody. Having a musician visiting the ward to play for patients makes all the difference and it allows the patients not only to react to the musician but also to build relationships. Quite often it is more difficult to engage with some patients than it is with others. You're in a strange environment and one of the things that I think the music does is it provides sort of a common ground for for people to be able to understand each other and the fact that you do see reactions from patients that or them coming out of their shell more after having been a part of the music session um it's it's just such a great um opportunity for us to be able to get to know them better and for us to understand them more but also for them to get to know us a bit as well and um, as staff members it gives you that that opportunity to bond with them in a way that you wouldn't otherwise in a purely clinical staff patient relationship it sort of equalizes music has this ability to do that and it's yeah it's really helpful in the last series, we heard about the rise in social prescribing, where healthcare professionals in the NHS can now refer people to a range of non-clinical services to support their health and well-being. And for Samantha, this is vital in mental health. Absolutely. So I think it's something that we see more and more in the NHS is the idea of um, treating patients holistically and the, especially in mental health, um, engagement in meaningful activities such as live music is seen as incredibly important in recovery as much as you know medication or um, therapy would be this is an element of treatment the difference in the patient's recovery how well they recover it's it's stark the difference that is there Um, and I think it's something that is that can only improve as people become more aware of the benefits of music and arts in treating mental health. Thanks to Samantha and also to musician Charlie Gorman from Music in Hospitals and Care. Now, you may remember Sir Richard Stilgo from his numerous appearances on TV and from his award-winning work with Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber as lyricist for the brilliant musical theatre productions Cats, Starlight Express, Phantom of the Opera... But there are more strings to his bow. He describes himself as songwriter, broadcaster, builder, grandfather and digger driver. He owns a JCB and it is his pride and joy, clearly. He's a fellow vice president of Music in Hospitals and Care and he's founder of the Orpheus Centre, which uses the performing arts to empower young adults with disabilities. Richard's music has brought joy to so many people over the years. And I began by asking him when he realised that music brought him so much pleasure. Six or seven, I would think. Um, and particularly, I had, a, I had a musical granny. She was a church organist because she, she was one of five daughters of a vicar. And so the only way of running the parish was if they all had jobs. And she had just the best ear of anybody I've ever met. And I would sing her a nursery rhyme and she would play it on the piano. And I 
thought, God, that's clever. How do you do that? And she said, well, you listen. Listen. That's a higher note than that note, isn't it? So it's further up the piano. And that's that's actually all the music education anybody needs, really. You can do quicker and slower as well, but higher. once you've done higher and lower and quicker and slower, you've practiced. <laughs> if only it were that simple, my goodness me. Uh, obviously, your musical career has led you to, to work on some extraordinary shows and uh, and create some amazing, um, amazing works. Uh, and that has obviously led you into the happy position of being able to sort of help people through your foundation as well. Through uh, And I'd just love to hear why you felt it was so important to sort of bring music to so many other people. Um, I don't think of it as helping people for a start. It is helping me just as much as it helps people. That one of the great things about music is it's a sharing thing, always. You don't give music to somebody else. Um, it will have happened to you as well. If you broadcast at all, you get invitations to places you would otherwise never go to in your life. And quite early on, um, I got a letter from the Tuesday crowd, who were a group of disabled people in Wandsworth, disabled pensioners, and they said, would I be their patron? And I was quite young, so I thought, well, that's very flattering. And I went along and met, for the first time in my life, lots of old people in wheelchairs, because in my youth, people in wheelchairs, you never saw. They were hidden away. They're in different places. The world is a better place now. But anyway, these old people, after a bit, conversation flagged, but there was a piano in the corner of the church hall where they met, and I had been a pub pianist for a long time so I knew the old songs they knew and I played some of those and they joined in and suddenly the room comes alive that they start to sing and after they've stopped singing they talk and they talk and they talk for 10 minutes because music has kind of oxygenated the brain revived all sorts of memories of when they weren't old people in wheelchairs and and that never left me um that memory, and I, I stayed with this group off and on, just every now and then going and playing the piano for 40 years. Uh, and after about 20 years, they confessed that the woman who'd written to me and asked me to be patron had got it wrong and had meant to write to Leslie Crowe. <laughs> so that was, that was very formative and useful, just that connection between, but of quite simply what music can do. Later on, when I started doing this more complicatedly, I was working with a neurologist from Belfast who was a keen musician. And he did a lot of explaining about where music was in the brain, which is kind of round the back and low down, where damage doesn't get to it. And if your speech isn't very good or you're walking and you're talking aren't very good, the motor systems up in the front of the brain, somehow music is never harmed by that. And storytelling, the imagination, that's all down in that bit of the brain as well. So working with people who have problems with speech and mobility, don't work with the bit of the brain that doesn't work very well, work with the bit of the brain that is undamaged, the storytelling, the musical bit. And very often you can get, oh, um, some of the people I work with at my Orpheus Center, the songs they will write about what's worrying them and about their life experience are astonishing. Whereas if you ask them to talk about it, You'd get nowhere. Can you give us any examples of when music really did unlock something for a patient? Particularly, um, let's call him Ed, not his real name. Always, always with these things you say, not his real name, don't you? Anyway, he was he was male, and he was he. We'll call him Ed, and he came to write his first song at the Orpheus Centre with me, and he had Downs and a 
bit of he was somewhere on the spectrum as well. Um, and I said, what do you want to write about? What sort of style do you want? And he said, rap. And I said, OK, not not my signature skill, but well, we will do what we can. Um, what do you want to write about? And he said, my dad never comes to see me. And I said, OK, dad meant to come and see you. He said, yeah, dad left when I was born and is meant to come and see me every Friday. And most Fridays he doesn't. So quite quickly, he and I got down. Hey, dad, you never come and see me. Hey, dad, where you been? Hey, dad, you never come and see me. It's a sin. And then we added some verses and we finished the song. And every Friday we used to do a concert when mums and dads would come. And since Friday was the day that Ed's dad was meant to come and see him, I rang up Ed's dad and said, you come and see him every Friday, don't you? Oh, yes, said Ed's dad, lying in his teeth. Um, he's doing a song at the concert. Come and listen. So Ed's dad turned up and there is Ed with a band behind him and a microphone in his hand, which which gives you power, doesn't it? And we sat Ed's dad in the front row and Ed stood about four feet away from him, looked him straight in the eye and went, hey, dad, you never come and see me. Hey, dad, where you been? Hey, dad, you never come and see me. It's a sin. And Ed's dad tried to move his chair as far back from the stage as he possibly could. But by gum, he didn't miss many Fridays after that. No way could Ed ring up his dad and say that stuff. But doing it on stage with the lights on him and a microphone in his hand, all kinds of things can happen. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a simple thing. There are other much more complicated ways. You may, there is a woman who's quite famous called Rosie Johnson, who used to be uh, a violinist or a viola player, I'm not sure which, in the Welsh National Opera Orchestra. And she had a horrendous car crash that made her paraplegic. But none of the music left her. And it takes a long time, but Rosie can write you a string quartet by you suggest a note. And if it's the right one, she winks with her right eye. Good and thing. if it's the wrong one, she winks twice with her red. So it has to be a musically literate person working with her because she is still musically literate, but she can still write music. And the other thing she can do when, when you put some musicians together to play that music is smile. Both of us are involved with music in hospitals and uh, the impact of a simple song on somebody's recovery after an operation is really very powerful, isn't it? You put the power back because, you know, being ill, being disabled is very depowering. People used, to, you know, people, particularly people in hospitals, used to be absolutely fine and doing stuff. And suddenly the whatever disease they've got, whatever syndrome they have, means they can't do stuff anymore, except suddenly they can sing again. And, that, and suddenly, for that three minutes, you're a powerful person again and part of something meaningful. But there is more to it, isn't there? As you were suggesting with your neurologist friend, there is more to the sort of impact that music can have in terms of coping with pain, uh, with with the, the speed of recovery as well. There's been some interesting studies, haven't there? It sounds airy-fairy until you do the science. Mm. But actually, there's lots of science now showing that this actually has a proper physiological effect. And of course, I mean, we've talked mostly about the psychological effect. There's also the social effect. There is if a nurse, his job is to look after you, but the two of you sing a song together, the relationship between you and that nurse, the relationship between you and the visiting parents or friends becomes different because you've shared this song. I think that these organisations... Um 
people don't realise how extensive they are. Quite how many? I mean, there are hundreds of musicians who go into hospitals and care homes, aren't there? Via organisations like Music in Hospitals, they do extraordinary work. A number of times, I have heard a musician after one of these sessions say, "I remember now why I wanted to be a musician." Works both ways. Why it works? If the musicians just arrived and gave, and the patients took, that wouldn't work. People would get bored with it.、Mm. The musicians leave thinking, "Hey." My skill is a really useful skill. This is a great thing to be able to do, and I, and I feel better than I do when I am the back desk of the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra playing a Haydn symphony for the thirtieth time. It's, I think,、uh, encouraging the growth of social prescribing, and somebody like you and, and like me who are so both sort of. Terribly interested in the, in the power of music and the arts,、um, I keep quite a close eye on this. I mean, do you feel that people are moving in the right direction in terms of acknowledging that these this sort of work can be good for?、Uh, it, it makes it makes economic sense. It makes more it makes more than just sort of it's more than just a nice to have. It's an, it's a must have, and that you know doctors are now acknowledging this. Yeah, the two words you just used, social prescribing, didn't exist a few years ago. I mean, the idea that doctors And health professionals actually say, you know, music is a good thing.、Um, yeah, of course. It, I mean, in the long run, everything is economics. There's nothing more short-sighted than cutting down music education,、mm. because if you cut down the number of musicians, you will get you will get a society that's not as well. You know, it really it's it's not a sort of something on the edge. Music it has been central. You, you can imagine right at the beginning when people started. They will have made noises and they will have blown through bits of bamboo long before they developed any sort of meaningful speech. You know, it's, it has always been one of the most basic communication tools and always will be. There are positive moves in in the way we are appreciating the power of the arts and of music, but but when you stand back and look, you know, from the perspective of you know, having been in the business for some time now,、um, are you confident in in the future for young people and the music industry? Yes, in some ways. I mean, in that, I mean, I think it's great that. Whereas I grew up, and even you grew up, at a time when music was very much segmented, and there was classical music, and there was popular music, and there was jazz, and there was folk, and there's still a bit of that、um, silo thinking. But most young people now have a really good eclectic mix of music on their iPods. Is about five years ago, but whatever they listen to music on now. Uh, they will listen to all kinds of it without being judgmental about it. That's a huge step forward.、Yeah. But, but the amount of formal music education that goes on in schools is far less than it used to be. Yeah, it's a it's a huge worry that more and more professional musicians、yeah. come from、um, fee-paying schools where there was lots of music. I went I went to a gig in our village over the jubilee. There was a choir and a band from two academies, and they were just terrific. But if they hadn't been academies into which a generous person had poured a lot of money and a lot of effort, those schools wouldn't have had any music in them. Everybody should, because if you're a child who isn't terrifically good at academic subjects, sometimes music or sport are the the other things, other things that give you a life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Huge thanks to Richard Stilgo, to Samantha Philp, Jamie Parker, and Tina, and husband Nigel and Sang from the People's Orchestra. In the next episode, we're going to be hearing from them at rehearsals for their big performance at the Birmingham 2022 Festival, and we will also be talking to the fantastic Leslie Garrett. She's joining me to tell me more about her role 
as ambassador for the charity Help Musicians. If we've inspired you to join a band or an orchestra or a choir, do search online for music groups in your area or get in touch with Arts Council England, the Arts Council of Wales, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland or Creative Scotland. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media for updates. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, of course we are. And if there's someone you think we should have in the podcast, then just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Just the Tonic with Katie Derham was produced by Jill Davis. It's a Peanut and Crumb production supported by the People's Orchestra and by Arts Council England.